Hi everybody, welcome back to What's the Crime with Gemma and Grania. So for today's episode, this story is about the story of Jaina Murray, also known as the Lululemon murder. So have you heard about this story? I have heard about it, but I don't know the details. It's just the Lululemon murder. Heart always yeah, sticks, sticks out. Sticks out yeah. yeah. Okay, so to get straight stuck into it. On Friday the 11th of March 2011, it was just after 10 o'clock at night when Jana Svartso, I hope I'm saying that right, was walking across the floor of the Apple store that she worked at and she could hear strange noises. So Jana had about an hour's worth of record keeping ahead of her because um, it was a really busy day in the Apple store. So um, they had brought out like this brand new product. At the time it was the iPad 2 and that had created like this really long line of 400, um, like a 400 foot line of buyers down the street. So So she had a busy day and she had some work to do before they closed up. So the sounds that she could hear, these funny sounds, were like high-pitched yelps and squeals and then low-pitched grunts, thuds and a dragging noise as if something was being moved. So she asked one of the two security guards to help her look for the root of the noise. So Jana felt sure that... um, the noise was coming from next door, which was the Lululemon yoga store. So Apple, the the Apple store and the Lululemon store like shared a wall. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure almost everybody will know what Lululemon is. It's like a kind of high, you know, brand athletic um, yoga type clothing and um, that sort of stuff. So uh, when she started to listen against the wall she could hear someone saying talk to me don't do this talk to me what's going on and then she heard what sounded like a different voice saying god help me please help me so Jana thought about calling the police but the noises um she sort of was like her and the security guard that she'd asked to sort of help her look for the noise they're like look it's probably nothing I'd say it's somebody arguing it's nothing to be worried about so where they were was was Bethsida, Maryland, which was a suburb with very little crime. And so the possibility that there was anything violent going on next door wasn't really on their minds. And so they put it out of their minds and continued to get their work done um, and went home after work. Yeah, so straight away you get the feeling you should have wronged the police. Straight away you're a little bit like, oh God. So the following morning, Rachel Ortelli, who was the manager of the Lululemon store, arrived to work at around 8am. So this is now the morning of Saturday, March 12th. So the first thing that she noticed was that the door to the store was unlocked, which obviously would be unusual because the store obviously would need to be locked up when it, when it's closing. On entering the shop, um, it appeared to have been vandalised. There was mannequins toppled over, clothes on the ground, and everything was just like a general mess. She also thought she could hear somebody moaning in the back of the shop. So unsure what was going on, and obviously you're kind of afraid. You're like, what if there's someone in there? She runs out of the store and calls the police. Which was the smart thing to do. Yes. Uh, She informed them that uh, she was afraid to go into the shop. She didn't want to go in, and she gave them the address. There was a young man outside queuing for the Apple um, store at the time and she went up to him and she said, look, have you seen anybody go in or out of the Lululemon shop? And he informs her that he hasn't, but he could clearly see that she was in distress and also he'd heard her call to 911. So he's like, look, do you want me to go in um, and I can help you check it out? So her and this young man walk in and uh, he calls out, is there anybody here? But there's no response. On the floor, he could see bloodstains. And as he walked further down, he noticed more blood at the base of a purple door, uh, kind of at the back of the shop. He gently pushes it open and it stopped, hitting the side of a body. There's somebody back here, he shouted back to Rachel, and it looks like they're dead. So he goes back to the front of the store and then noticed another person, another pair of legs, um like bound at the ankles sticking out from behind another door he saw it was a woman and her face was bloody and her hands were bound he asked her if she was okay and she barely moaned 
plastic zip ties had been used to bind her hands, um, to bind her hands and her ankles. She wore black yoga pants that had been torn open at the crotch and a black striped top. Jesus. Something was twisted around her neck and her face was caked with dried blood. Police and paramedics arrived and this lady that um, he had found that had been um, bound with the zip ties that was sort of moaning, she was still alive. So they rolled her onto a stretcher and rushed her to the hospital. The other woman that um, down toward the back of the store, unfortunately, was dead. So that was a woman, the body that he yes. opened the door. Okay. She lay face down in the middle of a pool of blood. Beneath her, uh, her hair was tangled and matted with what looked like a wide open gash in the back of her head. Two ends of a rope extended from under her neck and a toolbox rested on her shoulder. The back of her pants also seemed to be cut open. At the hospital... The surviving victim had briefly spoke with another, um, with an officer there, telling him that two masked men had slipped into the store after closing time the night before and had attacked her and her co-worker. So detectives arrive on the scene. Speaking to the manager that arrived that morning, that girl, Rachel Ortelli, she informed him that the store, um, which was obviously Lululemon as part of a, a, a nationwide chain, had 22 employees and on Friday nights, it closed at nine o'clock. And after which that time, employees like cleaned up, they got the shop ready for the next day. And that evening, 28-year-old Brittany Norwood, a saleswoman, and 30-year-old Jana Murray, a supervisor, were the two staff that had been on that night. Brittany Norwood was currently being at the was currently being treated at the hospital. So it was assumed that the murder victim and the girl that didn't make it was 30-year-old Jaina Murray. Rachel told the detectives that Jaina had called her shortly before 10 p.m. that night from her car. She had uh, forgotten her laptop at the store and that Brittany, the other girl, had actually forgotten her wallet. So they had gone back to the store to um, open it up and um, Brittany... The other girl, she didn't have a key because she wasn't a supervisor and Jaina had a key. So that's why they met up again after they'd left and went back. Oh my God. So they weren't even, they were finished and they were finished and on their way home. And then Brittany realized she'd forgotten her, um, laptop. She'd forgotten her wallet and Jaina was like, oh, well, I forgot my laptop too. It's absolutely fine. I don't mind going back. Brittany Norwood, the survivor, grew up in Washington state with eight brothers and sisters. Her mom was a homemaker and her dad owned an upholstery shop. One of her sisters was a doctor and three of her brothers were engineers. Brittany was um, a bubbly girl. She was a former college soccer star with plans to one day open her own gym. And one of her first steps to achieve that goal was... um, securing a personal trainer spot at a health club so she actually had an interview for that on this coming Monday um she wasn't like particularly close to her roommate so that therefore when she hadn't come home that night it kind of just went unnoticed yeah Brittany's or or Jaina the lady that unfortunately didn't make it her long distance boyfriend he did grow concerned when she didn't ring him after work when she normally did like she wasn't replying to his calls and she was also supposed to meet a friend that morning but she didn't show up um she was due to take the next step in her career she was just two months shy of getting two master's degrees one in business administration and one in communication she had two brothers and was adored by her young nephews so both girls like they obviously had a lot going for them and they both you know they had good bright futures ahead of them yeah The scene was investigated by the detectives. There was visible signs of a struggle. Clothes, water bottles had been strewn about. The volume of blood spatter was immense. The wound on the back of Jaina's head seemed to be about four inches across and the product of repeated blows. The detectives could see that her right arm was crossed under her body, an indication that she may have been faced up at one point during the attack and may have been rolled over. Resting on her left hand was a Buddha statue that they noted perhaps that was the murder weapon or, you know, maybe um, she had been trying to defend herself and and had used it as a weapon. Even though um, the body hadn't been formally identified, there was little doubt that this was, in fact, Jaina Murray because 
you know, obviously her and Brittany had closed the store that night and they found a blue Lululemon athletic bag and in it there was a brown wallet with a student ID and driver's license, both showing Gina Murray's smiling face. Two things detectives did note was that there was no keys and no cash in her bag. Less than two miles away at Suburban Hospital in Bethesda, Maryland, um, a police officer met with Brittany Norwood. On arriving at the hospital, he documented that all of her clothing was bloody. Her pants were ripped in numerous places. When she was rolled onto her side, he observed several pieces of blood-stained glass on her back. He took note of an inch-long laceration between her thumb and her forefinger on her right palm. There was numerous lacerations on her chest, back, stomach and thighs. She asked about her co-worker, Jaina, um, and obviously he had so to inform her. Right. And then she recounted the terrifying incidents of the night before. So... Brittany and Gina left the shop when they finished up at around 9.45pm. Brittany walked into a nearby subway station and Gina heading in the opposite direction toward her car. Minutes later, Brittany realised she left her wallet behind and she rang Gina and um, Gina obviously had a key, which Brittany didn't have because Gina was a supervisor, Brittany was just a sales employee, so she didn't have a key. So um, she came back and they let it, they let themselves in. Jaina was like, oh, you know what? Like I left, my, I left my laptop there too. That's absolutely fine. I don't go mind going back. So they deactivated the alarm, but they didn't lock the front door behind them because they thought like would be in and out in a, a few seconds. Um, and after they were inside, two men covered head to toe in dark clothes with gloves, ski masks and narrow slits cut out for the eyes and hoodies over their heads slipped in behind them. They then unleashed a brutal attack on the women. One was about six feet tall and he dragged Jaina by her hair as she yelled for help. The other one was shorter and threw Brittany to the ground. Where's the money, he demanded. He made her open three small safes and then forced Brittany to the back of the shop where he tied her up and raped her. She said she hadn't seen his skin colour, but if she had to guess, uh, both of the men sounded young and white. When detectives went next door to the Apple store, they asked them if they'd heard anything the night before. And that's when the Apple employees told them what they'd heard. I think that they were pretty devastated that when they found out what actually happened, that yeah. they hadn't yeah. you know, told anybody. A patrolman that was working overnight informed the police that he had seen a silver Pontiac, which was Jaina's car, at approximately 12.30pm that night with the lights on and someone was sitting inside. So 12.30am? AM. Yeah, night, that's AM, isn't it? Mm. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so, um, that someone was sitting inside and he could see someone sitting on the driver's side, but he couldn't make out the person or what they look like or okay. anything like that there which is very suspicious considering that the the attack the, this attack was launched nearly as soon as the girls came back yeah. into the store the detectives had the heartbreaking job of breaking the news to Jana's parents and family that she was deceased Phyllis and David Murray, who were Jaina's parents, were sick with dread, waiting to hear news of their daughter. They, they had heard about the incident at the shop where she worked and they couldn't get a hold of her. But I mean, I, I'm sure that they just hoped that maybe she just hadn't had access to her phone or maybe was in the hospital but was okay. Uh, one of the detectives took the phone call and informed the family that she had passed away. The Apple store, uh, they had some surveillance footage that they shared with the police from the night before and it captured like images from the parking lot behind the shop and whilst watching the footage for the first while there wasn't really anything out of the ordinary like you know people walking past, cars etc. Yeah. And then just after 11pm two men suddenly appeared from the left. One looked to be about six feet tall and the other was relatively shorter and both were dressed head to toe in black clothing. You couldn't really make out their faces, but one was talking on a mobile phone and they moved quickly and one had a backpack. So police were looking at this and they were like, this is potentially yeah. our men. Yeah. In the media, Lululemon Athletica and its founder were pledging $125,000 in reward money for information. 
Jaina's body was so badly battered that the autopsy technician was shocked when he heard her cause of death. He had originally thought that maybe she'd like been hit by a car. That was how horrific her oh injuries were. Um, she had dozens of defensive wounds. The doctors had found hundreds of injuries to her face, head and neck and more than a hundred to her hands, arms and shoulders. The medical examiners found that due to the blood path of her injuries, her heart potentially had had been still beating, meaning that she had been alive for almost all of those injuries. The medical examiners and the police involved were like, it, it really struck a chord with them. Like it was such a horrific attack like the rape the yeah. the, the brutal way that, that um, Jaina was beaten and murdered that they're like we are going to find the people responsible for this the department's tip lines had an, an initial wave of more than 300 calls and emails most were kind of like vague like there wasn't really a lot to pursue but several centred on the same person a 48 year old man named Keith Lockett so Investigators were kind of skeptical, wondering if Keith kind of stood out in that area simply because he was like a a tall homeless man with a tendency to get drunk and obnoxious. They noted that um, he was tall and he did hang out with a shorter um, man and he had past arrests for um, cocaine possession, assault, battery, um, robbery, carrying a loaded gun. Um, so they're like, look, potentially, let's just bring him in for questioning anyway. So the detectives had, um, they, well, they head back to the shop anyway, because they're trying to find out more um, clues. They're trying to find out if they can figure out anything else in relation to the surveillance video that they'd picked up. Yeah. So when they're there, they look at items on the shelves and they seen two pairs of running shoes without laces, a woman's pair and a larger men's pair. So they're kind of like, wonder why these are here because they don't actually sell shoes. Both pairs showed small traces of red stains as if someone had cleaned off blood but had not gotten rid of all of it. One of the detectives, with a gloved hand, picked one up and turned it over um, and he carried the shoe back to the stockroom where they had found bloody shoe prints. And the patterns on the bottom of this shoe lined up perfectly with the shoe prints in the stockroom. Okay, so I'm just going to briefly interrupt this episode because we just want to say a very quick thank you to our sponsor for season three, the Muff Liquor Company. So before you start sniggering, (laughs) Muff is actually a village in Donegal and they have a liquor company. So get your head out of the gutter. (laughs) The Muff Liquor Company is an award-winning premium handcrafted Irish spirit company. You can purchase six times distilled handcrafted Irish gin whiskey and vodka and I mean we have personally tasted (laughs) all of the above numerous times (laughs) so we can say firsthand that they are definitely the best but don't just take our word for it you can order online at themuffliquorcompany.com Hi what can I get you? Hi uh Can I get two sparkling waters and two uh, margaritas? No uh Two mo... Mojitos. No, sorry. Uh, just two mo... Moscow Mules? Having trouble asking for our famous vodka and gin by name? No problem, because now you can buy your favourite muff liquor online. Fancy enjoying a bit of muff at home? Order now at themuffliquorcompany.com and use discount code What's the Crime for 10% off. The Muff Liquor Company. Come for the name, stay for the taste. Over 18s, drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. So please do let us know if you enjoy a nice gin and tonic or a nice hot whiskey listening to the next episode of What's the Crime? So they're like, these are the shoes that their, um, you know, perpetrator may have been wearing. So yeah, they're wh- like, why did they leave them on the shelf? Why did they leave them on the shelf? So they're like, that's a bit strange. Why not get rid of them? So without any really any other suspects, they're sort of amping up the search to try and find Keith Lockett, that man that I um, just kind of mentioned. He had turned up six miles away at Washington Adventist Hospital with bloody clothes and a swollen eye. So he informed the police that a guy had hit him the night before at a club. So they took him down to the station and questioned him. So there is blood on his clothes, but officers are kind of like, it might be too fresh to have been from the Friday night, which was the night of the attack. 
Keith's story about being hit um, the night before continuously changed. Like he's jumping from one subject to another, but he's kind of rambling, incoherent, and they're like, like he's he's probably under the influence. Um, and he denies anything about the rape and murder at the Lululemon store. And he's like, you know, take my DNA. Like I had nothing to do with that. Okay. Okay, so just a bit more about the girls. Brittany Norwood, who was the girl found in the store that thankfully was still alive, was born outside Seattle on May 19th, 1982. She was the sixth of nine children to her parents, Earl and Larkita. The Norwoods worked hard to surround their children with middle-class comforts, like a two-story house and a safe suburban neighbourhood. Brittany attended St. Vincent de Paul, a private elementary school, but um, for high school, she then enrolled in Decatur High School, which was a public school with her two older siblings. Her sister, Marissa, was a brilliant soccer player, but unfortunately, she blew out her knee um, and wasn't able to continue playing. Brittany was also a fantastic soccer player. She had an outgoing personality and she um, enrolled in Stony Brook University on Long Island, where she studied sociology. Some of Brittany's friends noticed something about Brittany. They noticed when they were with her, things were going missing, like wallets, textbooks and clothes. Brittany was very well liked and she was very fun to be around. But students kind of like warned their friends, like be careful around her because she'll steal things. In 2003, at Brittany's fourth year at university, her teammates had actually taken their complaints to the coach and Brittany and her team parted ways. Um, this meant that the scholarship that had paid for her classes fell through. Like I said, she was fantastic at soccer um, and this is kind of how she was paying for college. So um, when that fell through, she wasn't able to continue. And by the autumn of 2004, she was out of school completely and she was only 11 credits shy of graduating. God, you hear of so many people like that. It's it's kleptomania, it's called, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, like, you know, like what's seemingly very normal people, but like have this addiction to, to like, like stealing things. things and stealing pointless things yeah. as well. So Brittany, however, she claimed that she still graduated from Stony Brook, but she actually didn't have a degree. She got a job at a hotel reception and outside of work, most of her social lives um, revolved around her sisters, um, Marissa, Heather and Candice and Candice's two young sons. So she was very family orientated. She had a taste for like nice things, designer clothes, good food, bourbon, a a well-known hairstylist. Um, and she didn't have a steady boyfriend, but she, you know, she didn't lack for companionship. Like she often met up with people, went out on dates with men. Um, and she started to think about moving to a new career, a personal trainer, perhaps even owning a gym. Lululemon stores, um, they targeted like customers with high paced, li- high paced lives, women who, you know, wanted to succeed on all fronts. And Brittany, you know, she knew style, she knew high-end athletics, um, and she looked the part. She was just a natural. So she got a job at Lululemon, um, but however, again, employees were reporting incidents of missing things like cash, money taken from wallets, registers coming up short. Brittany's like, yeah, like the same thing's happening to me, like I'm missing money. However, she had kind of worked all the shifts that were reporting problems, and on December 29th, 2010, one of the managers brought Brittany in for a meeting and fired her on the spot. But because of the handling of the termination, the fact that they suspected her of thievery, but they didn't have any proof, the manager's decision was overturned and Brittany was reinstated. However, at this time, um, she was reinstated at like a, 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 a store of her choice. So, so she um, moved to a different store. She moved to a different store. On January 18th, 2011, she met with Rachel Artelli, the manager of the Bethesda Lululemon Athletica store. When 2011 began, Jaina was finishing a dual master's degree in business administration and communication. She was looking for a corporate marketing job in the, in the Pacific Northwest where her longtime boyfriend, Fraser Bussell, was getting a PhD in educational statistics at the University of Washington. So Jaina would like, you know, also had a a really lovely personality. She was confident. She had a great laugh. She could make friends anywhere she went. She was very like um, adventurous. She bungee jumped, scuba dived. 
um, skydived, she salsa danced, she traveled the world, she took part in study abroad programs, she went to Spain, she worked on a cruise ship, like, you know, doing all these amazing things. Okay. One day she noticed one of her friends, Marissa, carrying a bag um, in, in her lunch and it was like a red and white bag and it had writing all over it. And she's like, what's that bag? And Marissa answered, it's Lululemon. It's like where I buy all of my stuff to work out in. So this kind of piqued Jaina's interest because she's like, this company has developed such a loyal customer base. Like it was really expensive. Like, you know, they could be paying like something like, you know, right up to like a hundred dollars for a pair of yoga pants, you know? So she's like, how how are they maintaining this level of, um, you know, marketing status, (laughs) status. So, uh, this actually led her to get a job at the Bethesda Lululemon store because she's interested in the creative marketing side as well. Um, and in January 2011, uh, Jaina's brother, um, Hugh, he was a US Army captain. He was preparing to deploy to Iraq and the family gathered to say their goodbyes. In February 2011, when Brittany was working at the store, another employee um showed Brittany um a $80 bottle of perfume which she had and Brittany's like oh that's lovely like I like the scent of that and then a few days later the girl texts Brittany being like Brittany did I leave my Vera Wang perfume in the store on Friday um to which Brittany replied I don't think so like it's got to be there somewhere I'm sure you'll find it in March another co-worker had $13 in her bag and that night when she went home and took out her wallet she had just $3 so She's like, the only th- thing that would make sense was that a co-worker had taken the $10 out of her bag. But she's like, it makes no sense. Why would someone take, like, why would someone steal $10? You know, unless, unless they're yeah. very strapped for cash. So the co-worker approaches a manager to tell her that she thought that there was something missing from her bag and money missing from her bag. And the manager's like, oh God, you're the third person to report something missing recently. So the staff do suspect Brittany at this point and their conclusion was that um, she was kind of a petty theft but they're sort of like, oh my God, what if she's stealing merchandise as well? Like what if she's stealing inventory because that would look bad on the store because they're judged for keeping track of the inventory. On Thursday, March 10th, Brittany got a message from the Equinox fitness manager which was the sports gym and he wanted to meet with her um, with the health club general manager on Monday. So Brittany, like I said, she wanted to get a job as a personal trainer yeah. and then eventually own her own gym. So she's absolutely delighted with this. She's like, I'm so excited. I cannot wait. Like this is the start of my career. Nothing can get in the way of this. And then the following day, which was Friday, March 11th, Brittany was due to start her shift alongside Jaina at 3 p.m. At 7 p.m. that evening, Rachel, the store manager, finishes her shift and goes home. Customers came and go, customers came and went, and the girls seemed their very usual, happy, polite selves. Around 9 p.m., Brittany and Jaina lock the doors so that they can count money, finish reports, make sure, you know, everything's cleaned up, blah, blah, blah. And they also shut down the cash registers. At around half nine, they performed um, a final check. It was called a bag check. This meant that they would have to check each other's bag before they left the store. This was to ensure that none of the staff were stealing any of the merchandise. And as Jaina looked through Brittany's bag, she spotted a pair of um, workout pants with the price tag still on them. So she asks Brittany if she had the receipt and Brittany's like, no, I don't like I, I throw it. I threw it away. Um, but it was Sunya who rang it out, meaning that another girl that had been working earlier actually, you know, checked it out for her. Yeah. So Brittany is like, um, OK, uh, that's fine. Like, um, I'll check the computer just to be oh, sure. Jane is like, that's fine. You mean instead of Brittany? Yeah. Did I say Brittany? Yeah. OK. So Brittany, the stuff is in Brittany's bag and Jane is like, okay, no bother. I'll just check the computer just to be sure. Got it. Yes. So sorry if it's a bit confusing, um, seeing her names, but so yeah, so she's like, okay, that's fine. Like, I'll just check the computer. I'll check the system, but she couldn't boot it up on the computer 
Um, and she's like, do you know what? It's no big deal. We'll, you know, we'll deal with it later. We'll ask, um, I'll ask her tomorrow if she rang you out type thing. So they set the alarm at 9.45 p.m. And the two left. They said their goodbyes and they walked in opposite directions. So Jaina took out her phone um, to call the other employee and ask her if she had sold Brittany anything that day. To which her colleague replied, nope, I didn't. So Jaina then calls the store manager, Rachel, saying that, look, I suspect Brittany um, is, stealing these, is stealing these leggings because I checked her bag, they were there, um, and nobody actually rang her out. And she lied about it and said that somebody had. So Rachel's like, look, do you know what? Um, I'll talk to her tomorrow. They'd, she was actually planning on firing her in the morning. Okay. So six minutes after leaving the store, um, Brittany made a call um, to another co-worker saying that she left her wallet in the store and she needed Jaina's number so she could come back because Jaina had a key and she didn't. Um, so then she then called Jaina, left her a voicemail and was like, can you come back? Let me in. Um, to which Jaina is like, yeah, that's fine. I left my laptop there anyway. So um, they arrive back, they open the door and they walk inside. They couldn't find Brittany's wallet, so Jaina offered Brittany her uh, su- subway fare card so she could board the subway. Um, and she's like, look, we'll find it in the morning. So Brittany t- told the detectives that when her and Jaina were walking back out, that's when two men suddenly appeared, one of them striking Jaina. He yanked Brittany by the hair and told her to shut up. Um, and the girls were both calling for help. So she told the detectives that her attacker forced her to the cash cash register to get money, whacked her across the head and pushed her to the back of the store and then um, shoved her onto Jaina's bloody dead body. She said that she was worried that the men knew where she lived because in her purse she had gas bills and she said that they were like rooting around in her purse. Okay. So she said if she had to guess, the men were mid-twenties and Caucasian. So when detectives asked Brina, or asked Brittany about the shoes situation, they're like, you know, do you sell shoes? And she's like, no. And they're like, well, why were there shoes in the store? Um, and Brittany said, oh, yeah, we keep those shoes there because we use them for alterations. At this point, the prospect that Keith Lockett the 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 homeless man had yeah. been the killer that I kind of fizzled out with police because the statements he given to the police were just so incoherent they were almost useless and detectives detectives are just not feeling that Keith was responsible for such a grisly attack and murder I mean they weren't ruling him out completely they were still waiting for his DNA analysis but they're kind of just not convinced okay. but. For those investigating this case, something kind of wasn't adding up for them in the sense that Jaina's murder was brutal. She was savagely beaten to the point where the autopsy technician said it was the most horrific murder he'd ever seen. She had at least 300 wounds. And yet Brittany, although tied up and with wounds, like she was released from hospital with a few stitches for some like shallow lacerations. Her wounds were so minor in comparison that the main detectives on this case were kind of uncomfortable. They were also uncomfortable with regards to her story about the two masked men. On interviewing Brittany, she would never cry. She never needed tissues because there wasn't any actual tears on her face. Like, she, she would cry, but she wasn't actually crying. Yeah. They couldn't understand the shoe situation either. It was a size 14 Reebok shoes in the store that, that had actually made the bloody footprints. So why would an intruder put on the shoes that were kept in the store for alterations, walk around in them, then take them off, clean them and leave them back? On assessing Brittany's wounds, she had two superficial cuts on the small of her back. Detectives demonstrated with their hands that the natural direction the blade would travel if they put their own hand behind their oh back God, where's the story to going? demonstrate cutting themselves that the blade traveled the exact same angle shown the, in the way Brittany's wounds had been made. So they think she did it to herself. Her face was caked in blood. Um, and when they came to the hospital, the blood flow was like down straight, covering her nose and lips, indicating that she had been standing when she bled. 
But if she'd spent the night on the bathroom floor on her back where she was found, it would have went down. It would have went down the sides of her yeah. face. She'd been tied up with zip ties, yet the zip ties were located in a box in a sh- on a high up shelf in a stock room at the back of the store that were very difficult to find. So how would two masked men who didn't actually know the store come in, have time to f- root through and find these zip ties to tie Brittany And put on these, this, these shoes. These shoes. So detectives have these suspicions and they're starting to believe that perhaps Brittany knows more than she's letting on. They're thinking that she might have knew the men that entered the store and that maybe this was like a planned event that had gone wrong okay so like a robbery that went wrong so maybe they had planned on robbing the store um and Brittany was like okay these are the instructions um this is how you come in blah 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 but something went wrong and Jaina was murdered so detectives are like keen to keep these suspicions on the down low like they didn't want to get out that they're suspecting Brittany like she's a potential rape victim yeah the crime scene investigators got to work on Jaina's car so remember I said that someone spotted the yeah, car like half 12 that, that night. night just it was so this they spotted it in the parking yes lot. right okay with the lights on someone was inside it okay so they're like okay let's have a look at this car because why would you know someone was obviously in there yeah it was a two-door Pontiac with Texas plates and on the front passenger door was a bright pink workout jacket and a black baseball-styled cap. So they found it a tiny smudge of what looked like blood on the driver's floor mat and um, about 12 inches from that, a dark red drop the size of a pinhead against the driver's side door. So they're finding blood in the car. Yeah. They also find something interesting from the cap that they find. So like inside the cap you know there's like a band if you if you like put a cap on there's like a band on the inside like yeah. fits around your head inside um there was like a, a stain in the middle of blood okay so whoever was wearing the cap was cut exactly was cut in the middle of their head in the exact same place where Brittany had been cut okay um, now they, they were able to send this away for DNA analysis but it was going to be a, a while like maybe a few days even potentially a few weeks the results of this to come back so detectives are like okay our next move is we want to sort of ask Brittany if she'd ever been inside Jaina's car because the chances are she's going to be like no yeah but she doesn't realize that they have potentially got DNA evidence proving that she could have been in the car meaning that if she did say no it would be a lie yeah because down the road if they ever you know needed to go on trial they could um, use that as evidence exactly why would she lie so the detectives they don't want to just call Brittany and be like you know um were you ever in the car because that would instantly she'd be like oh my god they know something yeah and that would spook her so they kind of get her to come to the station again in one of their interview rooms they have a secret recording device um and they kind of just go through the story again and they were going to try and like slide in the question about Jaina's car naturally so on Wednesday March 16th Brittany her dad and several of her siblings came to the police station they're just kind of like ensuring her that, um, you know, they're just, they're, try- they're trying to treat her as like a, still very much a victim, giving her this kind of false sense of security. Okay. So Brittany talked about the Bethesda Lululemon store, saying she enjoyed working there. It's like a family. Um, and detectives are just engaging in chit chat about like, um, you know, where she gone to college, blah, 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 about herself. Um talking about um Jaina who who again was the the girl that was murdered they're like um oh yeah like she lives in Arlington and then Brittany's like yeah and then they're like do you know what kind of car she has and Brittany's like oh I don't like I saw it once but I don't know the make and the model so detectives are like hmm that still leaves wiggle room like saying I saw it once that could mean I saw it from the inside yeah you know yeah. so you know, they're like, right, okay. Um, they kind of they're going to continue on and maybe circle back with their line of questioning. They're kind of trying to get holes in her story. Her explanation for why Jaina had been so brutally massacred and that she was still in fine health, she said that the man said, 
to to her you're more fun to fuck with like you're lucky because like he said something like you're lucky because you're more fun to fuck with you're lucky you're cute um okay that's so that's weird this weird weird in general she described how he raped her and used a hanger and they're like where did he get the zip ties from she's like oh i don't know um and he's like well it sounds like he was with you the entire time like as in when would he get time to just get up leave and go and get the zip ties yeah and she's like yeah he was i don't know like he had them with him so the texas are like well he had them with him but when when they came to the store she's like i don't know where he got them at this point she's like look i don't really want to talk anymore i just want to get my fingerprints done whatever you need to do and then i want to go so detectives are still, they don't want her to leave. They want her to stay. So it's still trying to be casual. They don't want to start like, like pushing her too far. Exactly. And they don't want to start reading her her rights and informing her she can get a lawyer because they don't want her to, to suspect that yeah, they're exactly. her. So what they're trying to do is they're still trying to like, like leave the door open, trying to insinuate that she's free to go at any point, yeah. but still trying to get as much information out of her. Yeah. Um, so th- they kind of know they're losing her at this point. So they're like, um, you know, uh, has she ever given you a ride home or anything? And Brittany said, no. Okay. So she's saying she wasn't in the car. Yeah. The following day on Thursday, March 17th at around 2 PM, detectives got a call from Chris Norwood, who was Brittany's brother. He told detectives that Brittany had withheld an important piece of information about the attack because she had been so rattled by the whole thing that the man actually made her move Jaina's car the night of the murder. And Brittany wanted to talk to the detectives to give him the whole story. Oh my God. This so is she's okay. obviously gone home panicked realized that they've got something yeah and is like i have to add on to this story now so they're like bingo she's worked out why they're asking her about the car she's realized she must have left blood in there so the following day um which was friday march 18th she comes in to explain these additional detectives to these additional details to the detectives Prior to him sexually assaulting me and zip tying me, he made me move her car. So she's like, they said to me, look, if I pass anyone in the street um, and open my mouth, I can consider myself as good as dead. She said that she even remembers seeing a cop, but she was too scared to flag him down. Okay, so she suddenly remembers all this, but (laughs) didn't remember in the previous days. She said that she was so rattled those days that she couldn't. Okay. Okay, so bear in mind Jaina's car was three blocks away so they're like okay get go and move Jaina's car so she would have had to walk three blocks on her own walk three blocks down the street get into the car drive back park her car and then come back into the store at no point stopping anybody for help and she would have had like blood on her exactly um so even though um like Bethesda is not super busy there was people around so she's like oh you're gonna do that and then come back into the store knowing that these men are either going to rape and kill you and she's like they also made me put on a black cap because she knows they found the cap in the car so she's obviously remembered at this point she's accidentally left the cap in the car and she's trying to fill in the gaps so the detectives are like, well, why would they make you put on a hat? And she's like, I don't know. Why would they make me put on a hat? Like they said they were going to kill me. I wasn't going to question them. Why would they make you put on a cap? Well, I'm thinking she could have said to hide the blood. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so they're like, well, why would they make you drive? Why would they make you do- go down and move her car? I Why move the car? Oh, well, you, uh, sorry. In the, like, in the middle of a burglary in this brutal attack. Oh, sorry. Um, Where is her car park? Could you just move it in case she gets a like ticket? <laughs> Like, I know, don't mean to make a joke. No, I know, this, it, this I know. doesn't make any it sense. It makes no sense. So the detectives are continuing their question and they're like, oh, you know, you might remember something else about the attack because you've left out this information. So maybe, you know, you'll remember more. Um, 
because they're they're trying to continuously poke more holes in her story but still trying not to really lose her suspicion so um they um they're kind of coming to a point in the questioning that they know she's not going to continue to talk and they're like we have to make a decision now um and they're like Brittany there comes a point sometimes when we have to break down and get everything off our chest okay I know this has been really rough for you as far as like I'm sure that you have been going absolutely nuts for these past couple of days as far as what the cops have found out what the cops have figured out and what the cops know because I know what really happened I've been doing this for 30 years I've seen a lot of stuff and I've heard a lot of tales and I've seen a lot of good people um and bad and sometimes people get into situations way over their heads he took out the photograph of um Brittany's wounds in the hospital that they took and he said they're self-inflicted and he said why did you kill Jaina She's like, I didn't, I would never do that. Jaina was my friend. He's like, you put the shoes on, implying the the size 14 shoes that were in the store um, and walked around in them and she's denying it. She's like, I would never do that. Who do you think I am? At this point, they are pushing her for some sort of confession, but she won't budge. She's like, I want to see my brother and sister, um, her brother and sister, Marissa and Chris, who'd come in with her. They still haven't read her her rights at this point. So they have to be like, okay. And they let them come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and police actually um, explained to Marissa and Chris, her brother and sister, what they think happened. They showcase all of the evidence that they've racked up along the way. Her sister, clearly in distress, she starts to cry. She's like, no, that's not possible. Her brother is kind of trying to think rationally and he asks for a minute alone with Brittany. Police leave them alone but what Brittany and her brother don't know was that the covert camera that the police had installed in the room they could hear their conversation which went as follows. Did you do it? Chris asked. I don't want to talk about it here. I want to go, Brittany replied. Chris Brittany, I'm not going to fucking rat you out, but you need to tell me so I know how to talk to these guys because if you did it, we have to get a lawyer to defend you. Brittany, I don't want to talk about it here, but I will tell you everything. I don't want you to be disappointed in me like everyone else. Chris, no one is disappointed in you, Brittany. We're your family. No matter what, we're going to be here for you, okay? Because everything he just told me and I didn't look like I was convinced, but that is really fucking convincing. Okay, so you're just going to tell me so that I can at least try and get you out of here because this is going to get a hell lot of, this is going to get a hell lot fucking worse. She replied, I don't know how it happened. The police are like, we can get a conviction off that. Okay, yeah. She said, are you sure they can't hear us, Chris? Chris replied, I looked around for listening devices and there's nothing in this room. And even if they did record this, there's nothing they could use in court. So... He um, he sort of commented as well how they could go for an insanity plea, but he's also like, well, Brittany, you've spoke to a lot of counselors over the years. Like they're going to know that you're not insane. We're going to have to try and concoct some sort of plan. Like she attacked you, but again, it doesn't look good because you tried to cover it all up. Oh gosh, let me see if I can get you out of here. Um. I'm going to tell you something. You've done it three times. When they ask you a question, you're looking down and you're looking to your left. That means you're lying, okay? If you're going to lie when you talk to them, find something in the room like that button and look at that button every time. Do not look at anything else. So he's like, even if anything, even if they can hear this conversation, there's nothing they can use in court. Yes, there is. He's talking about concocting a plan. I know, but if they're being recorded without their knowledge, can they use it in court though? It depends on the judge's okay. decision. Um, I don't know the, the legality of it, but um, I think because they're also they're in a police station, they can. It's not like it's okay. their home. So detectives had listened to Chris, like advising her to lie. But they also, they kind of can't help but feel for him. Like he's going straight into protective mode. Her family had been nothing but gracious and accommodating to detectives and protective of Brittany because... Like she'd not only ruined Jaina's family, no, she ruined, ruined her own. own. Yeah. 
detectives come back in and they're like look we've this conversation recorded like we can hear everything um and Brittany was just like I, I, I can't say anymore like I can't talk so at around 5 30 p.m on that Friday um March 18th 2011 David and Phyllis Murray who is Jaina's um, parents. parents and their sons were informed that the police had just made an arrest at a press conference at 7 p.m. that um, night, Montgomery Police Chief said that we have arrested Brittany Norwood for the murder of Jaina Murray. His statement was brief and he gave the vague possible motive as a dispute between the two women. In October 2011, jurors only deliberated for 21 minutes before finding Brittany Norwood guilty of first-degree murder. Her sentencing um, hearing was scheduled for January 27th, 2012. At the sentencing, Jaina's family were obviously so emotional when making statements about their loss. Like they presented like a video of Jaina bungee jumping on her 30th birthday. Um, and they were adamant that Brittany should not be eligible for parole and serve out an entire life sentence. Brittany and her family asked the judge to show mercy and give her and her family hope for the future by offering um, her the chance at parole. Um, like Brittany's family, like they're like, where did it all go wrong? Her family were described as the personification of the American dream. The judge said nothing about Brittany impressed him, but her family had like it's so sad, isn't it? Well, so why, what was her reasoning for doing it? Her reasoning, she didn't really have like a motive. Her reason was that they'd got into some sort of altercation because she had stolen those leggings. So she was worried that she's going to tell. That she was worried gonna that, that she was going to tell. Jaina was going to find out. That Jaina was going to tell on her that she was going to get fired and then she wasn't going to get a chance to do her interview for the gym on that Monday. So she got, come up with this plan then. I'll say I forgot my wallet. Yes, as she was leaving. Okay. So that's how they're also as well, kind of like there's a, there's a, some of this is premeditated. Yeah. So um, the judge said the sentence as follows. It's the sentence of this court that you be confined to the Maryland Division of Correction for the balance of your natural life without the possibility for parole. Brittany Norwood is currently incarcerated in Maryland Correctional Institute um, for Women. In 2015, she ran out of direct appeal options. She, you know, kind of appears to have kept a low profile since she lost her appeal and there's not really any current information about her online. Jaina's poor family, like her parents um, and her friends live every day thinking of Jaina and the manner in which she was murdered. Phyllis, who was Jaina's mother, takes pride in a non-profit started by her sons and Jaina's friends, um, uh, they started the Jaina Murray Foundation, which helps pay tuition um, and fees for students. Okay, everybody, thanks for listening to this week's episode of What's the Crime? And tune in next week for a brand new episode with Gronje and Gemma. Thank you.